0: So we've been talking about our Christmas offering, and it's coming up on December the 21st. And someone asked me, they said, well, how many people do you expect to participate in the Christmas offering? And I said, well, that's easy. It's 100%. We're asking 100% of everybody who's a part of Clarksburg Baptist Church to be a part of our Christmas offering. And in your bulletin, there, were, there was a card, and you'll notice it has a place for your name, for your email uh, for you to say that you're willing to pledge to the Christmas offering this year, or if you'd like more information about that. What we're asking is, if, if you would want more information about our offering, or if you plan to participate in it, if you would just write your name on there. If we don't have your email, you can add your email. And then as, as you leave today, there are two plates at each door, and if you just drop that in, you'll notice there's not a dollar amount on here. We just want you to to be thinking about what you might do as far as participating, and we want you to pray, and we'd also like for you to commit. That's one of the great things that we uh, do as as Christians, is we hear a lot about commitment, and this is a great, great, great time uh, to commit to Him. Someone asked me, they said, well, I don't know how to even start thinking about what I would give to the Christmas offering. And this week, I heard a great idea, and so I want to share it with you. As the minimum of what you would give to the Christmas offering, if you think about it, it's Christmas time, and it's the time we celebrate the birth of Christ. So shouldn't our biggest and most extravagant gift go to Christ? That being said, think about the largest gift you would give to an individual this Christmas. Whatever the largest gift you would give to your wife or to your husband or to your friend or to your child or whatever, and whatever that gift costs, then that would be your minimum gift or starting point to the Christmas offering. I'll give an example. Let's say I want to go out and buy Joni that $500 vacuum cleaner for Christmas. Sorry to spoil the surprise, honey, but uh, no. <laughs> then what I spent on that gift would be the minimum that I would give to the Christmas offering. So if you're looking for a way just to gauge if you want your biggest, most extravagant gift to go to Christ at Christmas time, then that's a way for you to start thinking about what you would give to the Christmas offering this year. Again, some of you have given online, and we already and we appreciate that, and that is an option that you can do if you. They're not going to be here on the 21st, or if you just want to go ahead and take care of that, go to our website, and it will tell you how to do that. But thank you in advance for your prayers and for your participation in this special opportunity. This is the second Sunday in our series, He Shall Be Called. Last week, we looked at Wonderful Counselor and the idea that that Christ in His kingdom uh, is, is free from confusion. But we've been talking about what's in a name. And if you think about when you name a child as a parent, there's a lot of work that goes into that. And sometimes we pick names just because they're family names or because the name or the combination of names happens to sound good. But as we talked about last week in biblical times, names really had a lot of special meaning, a lot of symbolic meaning. And God oftentimes would would change names of people. For instance, Abram became Abraham. In Scripture, there are 250 names or so uh, for Jesus. 250. And when we are going through our series, He Shall Be Called, we're not going to look at all 250, but we are going to look at four. And those four are found in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. They are beautiful, rich names that Isaiah gives to the coming Messiah. And they're names that we want to look at, not just for their richness and their meaning, but how that applies to us today. Because the coming of Messiah was not just for that time and that place when Jesus came, but it's for us as well today. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As I said last week, we looked at the idea of Messiah's kingdom. We find the answer to the world's confusion. He comes as the Wonderful Counselor. And today, we look at Mighty God. And in a nutshell, Messiah's kingdom is singularly free from chaos, He is a God of order with the power to create it. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. The idea that God can step into the chaos of our world and not only provide wonderful counsel, but he also carries with him the divine power To create order out of our chaos. He not only tells us what to do. But he has the power to energize us. And to make it happen. The Hebrew scriptures. Two chief names are used for the one true divine being. Jehovah is translated Lord. The other is Elohim. Which is commonly translated God. There's a short form of that. El. And that short form signifies strength. And it's generally agreed that the primary idea is that God exhibits Himself to mankind in supernatural strength and power reserved for deity as creator, sustainer, and governor of the world. God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, as the mighty God, also has the power. And the strength as creator, as sustainer, and as governor of the world. So, today we want to look at what this mighty God name is all about. And first of all, we want to look at what's this power like. I mean, the words mighty and powerful we use a lot. And sometimes they lose their meaning in our world today just because we use them so often for so many things. Someone gets up and gives a speech or preaches a sermon, and we say, man, That was a powerful speech, or that was a powerful sermon. Or when we think about our country, the United States has a mighty army. If you watch football and you've got a kicker who's really good, you might say, man, that guy really has a powerful leg. But the point is that we use the, the words powerful and mighty so often in our everyday normal usage that they really can lose a little bit of the meaning. And when we look at what Isaiah is talking about here, it's real easy for us to read mighty God, but mighty doesn't necessarily carry the weight that it should with us, at least in our minds, because we use it for so many other things. So what I want to look at is what the Bible says about the descriptions of Jesus' power and his might. First of all, in John 1 3, we read, Everything came into existence through him. Not one thing that exists was made without him. Jesus had the power over all creation. He is the creator. And he is the sustainer of creation. Speaking of Jesus, Peter writes in 1 Peter 3:22. Says, Who was gone, who has gone into heaven? And is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. He doesn't just have authority on earth, but he has authority in heaven as well. In Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them, speaking of the disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, Jesus has supreme authority over everything. He has all authority. And any authority that we might have or that we might attribute to any person, it doesn't come from them. It has to be derived from His authority. Jesus has all authority. And any view of Jesus that would make Him just merely a good man flies in the face of Scripture and also flies in the face of the testimony of His disciples. And Jesus is either who he said he was or he's the biggest liar of all time. Jesus claims the power. Jesus claims the might. Jesus claims the authority. And so you might say, well, but people can claim anything. I mean, the Bible says it, but, but where's the proof? Where's the proof? Well, we really don't, deal in proof rather we deal in evidence you think about it anyone can make an exaggerated claim about who they are i used to play golf with a guy i'll tell you he is not in this room he is not a member of the church and he no longer lives in this city so you can quit trying to figure out who it is This guy was the greatest golfer of all time. He was tremendous, except when he played with me. And he was awful. Now, I know some of it might have to do with my ability, dragging his down. But still, this was a guy that when he talked to you about his golf, he shot in the low 70s. When he played with me, he shot in the low 100s. I mean, that's quite a big thing. So this guy could claim anything, but I never saw any evidence that could back up his claim about his golfing abilities. So when we look at at the claims of Jesus, when we look at Jesus as the mighty God with all power and with all authority, what's the evidence? What's the evidence? Well, first you can look at his teaching. If you look at his teaching, people said in Jesus' time that they had never heard anyone speak like this before. They had never heard anything like this. Others said that he spoke with authority. And Jesus told the truth. There was something about Jesus when he told the truth. It wasn't just the truth that came from God, but Jesus could look at a person and tell them the truth about themselves even if he not spent any time with them. So Jesus' teaching had authority and it carried truth that was unlike anything anyone had ever heard. Look at his miracles. His miracles. The blind received their sight. The sick were healed. The lame walked. Dead people came back to life. Demon-possessed people were set free. Jesus calmed storms at sea. Jesus walked on water. And Jesus took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 people. Jesus' miracles not only reveal his power, but they validate his power. Jesus endured temptation. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted just like we are. Just like we are. The difference is he never sins. You know how temptation affects you. You know how difficult it is when you're tempted. Jesus was tempted the same way. The difference was he never sinned. We give in sometimes, sometimes far too often. Jesus never did. He remained strong. Look at his death. We think about his sacrificial death, but let's look at some of the things that surrounded his death. His crucifixion, there was a great earthquake. It was dark in the middle of the day. And mysteriously, the temple curtain was ripped in half. Look at his resurrection. Not only did the scripture say that he rose from the dead, but there were witnesses. There were witnesses upon witnesses upon witnesses. Jesus didn't walk out of the tomb, walk to the top of the hill, and ascend into heaven. Jesus, after his resurrection, was on earth. He was seen by witnesses. The Apostle Paul says, look, this is a paraphrase. (laughs) He says, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then basically we've been duped and we're fools and our faith means nothing. But he says that Jesus did rise from the dead. And if you look at all the world's great religions, all the world's great religions and all the great leaders of the world's great religions, Only one has a risen Savior, and that's us, and that's Jesus. The rest of the world's great religious leaders, of all the world's religions, are where? They're dead. Ours is alive, seen by witnesses. Okay, well, that's evidence. But what are the benefits? Because you can talk about evidence, and you can talk about... All these other things all day long. But what people want to know is what does mighty God mean to me right now? What does Jesus as the mighty God mean to me in December of 2014? How can I apply that to my life? Well, there's several ways, but two things I want to talk about today. The first one is that that he is able to do what he promised. Now I want to talk about the difference between willing and able. Um, a lot of people are willing to do a whole lot of things, but all those people aren't necessarily able. For instance, if you call me tomorrow, I will come to your house and I will redo your plumbing. I will. I'll come. I'll spend all day at your house and I'll redo your plumbing. Free of charge. Free of charge. Now, it will be a disaster. Why? Because I have no ability. I know nothing about plumbing. I'm completely worthless and I will mess up your plumbing beyond imagination, but I'm willing to come do it. I just can't do it. Jesus is not only willing to do what he promised, Jesus is able to do what he promised. And there's a huge difference. A lot of people are willing. But Jesus is able. Jesus is able as the mighty God to forgive sin. Jesus is able to defeat Satan. He is able to liberate people from the power of evil. He is able to redeem us. He is able to answer prayer. He is able to restore broken souls. He is able to reign over transformed and rebuilt lives. And He is able to bring order into your chaos. Jesus is the mighty God that can open the door to new beginnings and to everlasting life. And the idea is that no matter where you've been or what you have done, that the promise of the gospel is that the sacrifice of Jesus is powerful enough to pay for your sins and also to give you the assurance of heaven. He is able to do that. He is certainly willing, but he is also able to do what he promised. A lot of people might be willing to try those things for you in your life, to try to make them happen, but no one is, is, is able. Only Jesus is able to do those things that he promised. Why? Because he's the mighty God. The second thing is that he is able to help in our everyday lives. <clears throat> and for a lot of us, we, we, we hear about rebuilt lives and about redemption and we, and we hear about all of these things and, and they're all important, but sometimes to us, they can just seem like concepts. And, and so what we want to know is, I, how am I, how's it going to show up in my life? How are all of these things going to show up in my life? Well, He is able to help in our everyday lives. He's able to help us right now. He is able to love the loveless. If you feel like no one loves you, guess what? Jesus loves you beyond your wildest imagination. He is able to do that, regardless of who you are, what you've done, where you've been. He is able to give hope to the hopeless. This time of year, a lot of people are hopeless. All sorts of bad things happen during the holidays to people who have lost hope. But Jesus says, I can give you. I am able to give you hope. He is able to be a friend to the lonely. A lot of people are alone at Christmas time. Their family's gone. Maybe all their friends are dead. Who knows? But Jesus is the one who is able to be a friend of the lonely. He is able to give courage to the fearful. I don't care what you're afraid of in your life, whether it's a real fear or whether it's an imagined fear. It could even be a what if, but Jesus can give you courage to face it. He is able to do that. He is able to comfort the grieving. When people say they understand and you say, no, you don't, There is someone who does, and that's Jesus. He can give direction to the lost. He is able to do that. A lot of people will point you in a lot of different ways. A lot of people will give you advice, but Jesus is the one who is able to give you the right advice to put you on the right road. He is able to inspire the discouraged, no matter how discouraged you get in your life, no matter how people push you down, Jesus is able to give you inspiration in spite of your discouragement. And he is able to protect the helpless. And you know, a lot of times people, are, are, they, they feel helpless. They feel like they're powerless. But Jesus comes to them and he says to them, look, I will protect you. But I'll also give you strength. He is able to do that. In other words, the mighty God, Jesus Christ, is able, not just willing, but he is able to meet whatever is going on in your life, whatever chaotic situation you find yourself in. He is the one who can bring order to it. Now, this Christmas, as you look at a tiny baby in a manger, I actually hope you realize that Christ is more than just a baby. He is the mighty God. And those, those tiny hands of that baby that you see in a manger literally were the hands that created the universe. And those hands of that tiny baby are the ones that would be nailed to the cross. And that body of that little baby that lies in the manger is the one that would die for the sins of the world. But that little body of that little baby in the manger is also the one who would rise from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life. Christmas is not just a great story about a little baby who was born far, far away long, long ago in a dirty old manger. But rather Christmas is a story about God. The mighty God who took the form of a man and came into the chaos of our world to demonstrate his love for us and to lead us to our eternal home. He is able to do that because he is the mighty God. Let's pray.